Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are my journals out loud. And today is Friday. It's September 22nd. How did that even happen? And it's the year 2023. Again, how did that happen? So we're just going to take a deep breath. We're going to do something hopefully different, but probably not today. I have recorded three or four very heavy, intense podcasts the last few times, and uh, I know it's a lot to listen to. And the last one uh, probably didn't connect with most of you. Uh, I, there weren't really any comments, and it's a very specialized podcast. It's really you know, trying to address a very specific issue. So I appreciate those of you who really aren't you know, fully into all the details I'm covering, hanging in there with me. This one is going to be more generic because it's the one topic I think about all the time I never get around to. And I think that that's indicative of the real essence of why, one, the world is the way it is right now. And two, we are in a situation that is the way it is right now. And regardless of your nervous system, whether you are a default into fight, flight, or freeze, all of us have some relationship, for better or for worse, with this idea that we call love. And one of the reasons I don't like to talk about it is because it's this thing that everybody understands is a thing, but at the same time, we all have a wildly different relationship with it as an idea. And a lot of that relationship shifts and changes as we grow up. You know, what we experience as children, uh, what we experience in that first uh, blooming of hormones that we think we're in love, uh, as we experience relationships that go up and down. And as we watch the world condition us, as we listen to institutional conversations about love or not love, my take on all of this is that we've gotten so far away from what it is that it just has gotten lost. And yet, you know, at the end of life, I will tell you, with the exception of one person that I talked to, maybe two, two guys, everybody spoke about some version of love as their regret, as the thing they would miss, as the thing they would change, whether it was a relationship, whether it was something else. They never talked about stuff. They never talked about politics. One guy talked about business, which I thought was fascinating as he was a minister. But almost everybody reflected more on their internal world than on anything that happened out and around them. And yet, just, you know, take a beat and look at how super focused we are on everything that's going on around us. And we must, we must pay attention to everything that's going on around us because it's happening in a fast and furious way. So I think about this all the time. And, you know, to me, the very essence of the conversation about love is really us understanding what it is not. But it's been so perverted and turned inside out and pathologized and vilified and idolized and romanticized. Uh, most of us probably don't really have a simple core relationship with it as an idea or as an experience because the demands of the world, the demands of our body are relentless. And what does love right, have to do with business, with survival, with crises, with catastrophe, with cataclysm, with responsibility, uh, with money, with health, all these things that are in constant and endless demand for our attention every single day, 
it doesn't leave a lot of room for this thing that we call love, right? It's something nice. It's something we wish we had more of. Uh, but it sort of sits over there, like I've been doing for decades. It sort of sits over there. And then, you know, I'll get around to that someday, or I think about that sometimes, or I have brief moments, right, that it feels powerful. But yeah, it's mostly shelved intellectually while we, you know, push, pull, pause, as we grunt, as we do the work, as we function, as we produce, as we struggle, as we sacrifice, as we suffer, as we try desperately to survive, you know, in a world that is crumbling around us at the level of insanity that is breathtaking, there's that thing over there, right, that sits on the shelf that's called love. We're like, yeah, that's probably really important. Uh, Why don't we have more of that happening? You know, even if we can't have love, why don't we have common sense happening? What in the hell is going on that everything but common sense plus love is our experience because everything is the opposite of that, especially right now. So that's kind of the opening to all of this. Uh, You know, one of the reasons I focus or I've chosen to focus on this nervous system idea is, you know, some of the new information is that our heart, in addition to our gut, so we have our uh, automatic nervous system. We have our sympathetic, parasympathetic. We have our gut nervous system called the enteric nervous system. Uh, and we have a heart, which we're understanding as electrical, but the heart they're coming to understand has its own nervous system. And if you've seen uh, those pictures, you know, where the, the donut energy shape is, you know, kind of centered around the heart and in deep... Uh, esoteric ancient knowledge, uh, you know, the mind isn't in the brain. It's actually uh, below the heart in that there's a section around the diaphragm that has a bunch of serotonin uptake, uh, reuptake. You know, it's there's this whole section down there. And that's that gut feeling. That's at some level, that's believed to be the mind. And then there's this combination with the heart and the mind down there, not in the brain. And we've been trained to think, you know, the brain is operating our mind and everything uh, functions through the brain. But, you know, science and ancient understandings, you know, would contradict that. And it's very difficult to to shift these ideas because, you know, there's so many demands on us and what difference does it make? But, you know, for those of you who are uh, familiar with the Heart Math, M-A-T-H, Heart Math Institute, I think it's heartmath.org, they do all these uh, studies on the heart and how it affects everything and the energy affects everyone around you. And Uh, we don't know, right? When did the heart and love become associated? When did that connection get made? Because if you think about it, you know, most the Western world is very uh, intellectually oriented. We operate through this mind that we think sits in our brain. And, you know, mostly men talk about, you know, reason and logic or should be the thing that rules the world. And, you know, emotions and feelings are, Uh, just irrelevant and, you know, women are overly emotional or, uh, you know, there's this or now men are overly emotional. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with this massive dump of hormones into our body that doesn't have anything to do with the way we're naturally wired. It has everything to do with uh, how we live. You know, there's certain uh, behaviors and things that trigger, you know, our masculine, our feminine hormones. Uh, And then we are compulsed to believe that love is a romantic thing, that love is a relationship, that love is something that's between people, uh, but then all this other stuff should be logic and reason. And, and you know, what most people don't really step back and think about is that almost every single decision we make is based on an emotion or feeling. Uh, and I've you know, there's lots of different ways to, to separate what is feeling and what is emotion. And uh, I've, I'm dividing it, you know, feeling is the reactive response and the thing that we attach everything to. Uh, emotion is just the general, you know, love, hate, fear, those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, my understanding, the way I look at all of this is that we have a thought uh, and our emotional response tells us where that thought or action 
lives. Is it something we want or something we don't want, right? So in the same way, if we eat food that is not good for us, that's that's bad, talk, uh, spoiled, right? Our body says, uh, you don't want that. It smells bad. We eat it anyways, and then we get sick. So we have... Uh, checks and balances within our physiological, electrical, chemical, magnetic body. And most of us don't operate that way. And it's difficult, I think, for uh, those of us like I have a highly tuned energy reading system when someone doesn't. And we're all wired very differently. You know, the male-female brain is wired very differently. Uh, And it all comes together to work collectively in a way that would benefit us all. But because we're so divided, uh, we tend to point fingers and make the other wrong for not being like us. You're overly emotional. uh, And logic and reason is the answer. What's fascinating, this is a sidebar, Nothing to do with love. Sidebar is that in relationships, especially male and female, there's this whole dynamic. If you are a, a unemotional, uh, very logic and reason person, you're more likely to end up with an overly emotional person. And there's this really fascinating thing that happens because uh, you're under-functioning emotionally. You will hook up with someone that's over functioning emotionally, whereas uh, someone that was in the middle wouldn't be able to tolerate it. It's just this really interesting dynamic we don't understand about ourselves and how our interactions with others has less to do with them and more to do with us because we are in a, this is why I talk about this idea of push-pull-pause. We're in this constant energy exchange and love has become something that is a negotiation. If you, I will, right? If you are nice to me, I will love you. If you are mean to me, I will withdraw my love. Uh, And we think about what is God, right? And almost all religions will say, uh, God is love. God isn't sitting around making decisions about like Santa Claus, you were good this year, you were bad this year, but we are so childlike in our understanding of these concepts that we think God doesn't like us. You know, God, something bad happened to me, God abandoned me, right? And so uh, you are, I'm in this thing where everybody's trying to point out everything I can possibly do that's not perfect. And I keep saying to them, I'm not perfect. You know, I make mistakes. Uh, but we use those things as a negotiation. Well, I will love you or like you if you are perfect and do everything right. I will withdraw my love if you do everything wrong. Uh, we do that with our animals. We, we love, I mean, you know, I love you when you're good. The dogs the other day, I've been curing meat. I'm experimenting with, you know, salt and curing of meat. And so I had some in the back. I thought it was in a protected place. I am. I can't, not look at them right now. For the last few days, they've destroyed a million different things. So I leave and I come back about 20 minutes later and they've eaten like $30 worth of dried meat I've been curing for the last two weeks. Uh, And it's not just the money, it's the amount of work I've put into it because I had to redo it all. and, And it's gone in a flash, you know, and I'm just like flooded with my hyper reactive, angry response. And Uh, It doesn't mean I don't love them, but I hate them, right, in that moment. And so an adult can have that conversation, but children and animals don't understand that combination, uh, conversation. And that's, you know, part of my whole seeking to understand, you know, our our hyper-reactivity or our hypo or under-functioning, you know, autism, under-functioning. Love doesn't feel like very much from an autistic person. It just feels flat. Or a very left brain person, a very highly intellectual person. Love doesn't feel warm and fuzzy. It feels very flat. You know, and then the man or the woman is like, well, I, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I show up, I provide, I am responsible. Why don't you love me anymore? And the other one being super overly emotional says, uh, well, I don't feel loved. You're not 
romantic. You're not attending to my emotional needs. And so we've reduced it to this thing that is not what I believe it really is. Because there's this abstraction of love. There is this ancient technology of love. uh, And even people who don't have much energy around love have sort of a recognition that it's something very, very important. And, uh, you know, I shared with you, I've been kind of on this Art Bell thing where, because I'm I'm almost ready to go. So I've been sorting and packing stuff. And I do better, you know, when something's playing in the background, I don't have to listen to very intently, but it helps me, my brain work better. And, and he brings on all these people. I'm kind of between 95 and 97 listening to people. And and, you know, they're talking about all these different things that they care about, whether it's UFOs, whether it's earth changes, whether it's aliens, uh, whether it's viruses or nanotechnology. I was listening to Daniel Brinkley, remember him with the near-death experience. Uh, and they all care about this certain thing, but most of it is very focused intellectually. And yet, he, I hear him, and he has this constant theme of, uh, and he's very intellectual. He sounds very left brain, you know, when he talks. But he always, at some point, in most of these uh, interviews, gets back to this idea. But love is the most important thing, you know. At the end of the day, love is the most important thing. And there's this recurring theme that this idea, right, what is love is really important, but almost no time, energy, or money is spent on what it is. Because I don't think most of us think about it as something more than just a dynamic, an emotional response dynamic that happens between two people. Because what is love. And it's sort of, you know, interwoven with caring, but, you know, empathy, compassion. Uh, But a lot of, you know, empathy and compassion, you know, has to do with discomfort around witnessing other people's suffering or animal suffering. We're having a little animal suffering conversation going on here now. Uh, And how we're all responding very differently to it. And, you know, it just makes me think, what is love? Is love rescuing the broken, tiny uh, animal? Uh, Is love putting it down? Is love allowing it to die in nature? Uh, It's very complex when there's no good answer and you're trying to come from a place of love. What is the right way to be in the world. And so uh, I'm not saying I can, you know, I have the answers. What I'm saying is that, you know, you've heard me talk about this idea. We focus on what we want or what we don't want. There's really only two things happening, what we want and what we don't want. You know, you've heard through almost every spiritual tradition, there's love and fear. And almost all of our energy is push against what we don't want, run away from what we don't want, freeze up in the face of what we don't want. The problem with what I want becomes that ego spirit split. Is this what your ego self wants or is this what the higher part of you wants? And it's fascinating to me how... We want love. We believe in many ways love is safety and comfort. But almost all of our energy is around what we don't want, right? I don't want to get sick, so I'm going to uh, do things that make me healthy. I don't want to be afraid, so I'm going to build walls or I'm going to prepare indefinitely. Uh, I I don't want to be alone, so I'm going to hook up with someone that's not a good relationship for me. Uh, I don't want to be poor, so I'm going to work a job I hate. I don't want to be judged, so I'm going to uh, alter myself, right? I don't want people to, uh, I don't, you know, I don't want people to see the real me, so I'm going to wear a lot of makeup and a lot of uh, flashy clothing, right? So we do all these things that push against what we don't want instead of, sort of this moment where we step back and say, okay, what do I want? 
And if you spend enough time talking to people, you know, once you get, it's, you know, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like once you get past your basics, right? So if you're hungry, there's not a lot of conversation about this, but there might be, right? The most loving thing might be to give your food to your child. That's an act of love. But at the end of the day, you know, once your basic function, survival needs are are taken care of, if you really get deep enough into the issue, you know, people want to be loved. And, you know, we've heard the term unconditional love kind of bandied about. And impossible with humans. Nobody loves unconditionally. We think we do until that other person does something that we don't like. And if you loved me, oh, that's my least favorite, right? If you love me, you would, right? Read my mind, do this, do that. And and it becomes, again, all tied up into the intricacies of our everyday life. And yet we have this understanding of it as an abstraction God is love. And what does that have to do with the nervous system? What does that have to do with who we are as human? And what difference does it make when all these terrible things are happening to us? You know, when we're in fear, we're in fear of not having enough food, of not having shelter, of not being healthy, of not seeing our children or our parents, uh, of not being able to X, Y, or Z. And so it's very easy to distract us into what we're afraid of. But that sort of is the whole point, right? As long as you're focused on what you don't want, then you are activated in fear. And, you know, it's interesting that we're moving into this period of time where we're getting more comfortable with these conversations about vibrations and frequencies. And part of that is because we see all these uh, changes, not just, you know, with technology like the heart math to to, uh, test ourselves, but to test the earth, to test, uh, to understand what the sun is doing, to understand the universe and the cosmos and how we're seeing patterns and we're seeing uh, how emotions affect frequencies. And you can go back, you know, to the ancient mystery schools or the ancient wisdom, and they talk about these ideas and, uh, and we can understand them like, oh, you know, that makes sense. The heart, the earth has a heartbeat. You know, when people are calm and in nature, they hook up with the earth's heartbeat and everybody becomes, uh, there's an entrainment process. And it's fascinating. And yet, why are all these terrible things happening? If love was so important, if love was what we really believed in, and love was something that was super powerful, right? Because my belief is that love is the power that holds the universe together. I mean, we may call it God, we may call it this unseen force, we may call it all that is. uh, But but there's a sense for most that there's something going on we don't understand. And this, you know, great chasm between love and but why do bad things happen? Uh, And why am I vulnerable? And why uh, is all this suffering occurring? And if love is so important, if we think love is important, how often do we feel love? You know, is love an intellectual exercise or is it only an emotional experience? And, you know, one of the things that I would talk to people about is, you know, in many ways, love is a decision in the same way that fear is a decision. We have a chemical electrical response to those decisions, but it's still a decision. And that's really sort of this moment. You have to take your power back. You have to decide that you want to make the decision for love or for fear, because everything sort of splits off. You can put all the emotions of underneath what is love and what is fear. And it's not, you know, rocket science, right? You know, love, peace, joy, happiness, uh, 
things that you feel uplifted, right? And then we have fear, hate, anger, guilt, loss, sadness, depression. You can feel the heaviness. And if you measure it, you know, the love frequency goes up, the fear, hate, anger frequency goes down. It's not an emotion, if you step step back and look at it at that perspective, if you think about it as a frequency, it's where you reside and we're in constant motion, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's those waveforms, up and down, up and down, up and down. And we feel like it's something that happens to us versus the shifting of this idea that it's a decision that we make in spite of, meaning uh, you can, you know, hopefully we do that with our children, right? It doesn't matter what you say or do. I will never not love you. Now, we don't do that. We may say it, you know, but children aren't stupid. They can tell when you don't mean it. Um, we can We can pretend... But the energy coming off of us is very much the opposite. And, uh, you know, I was listening to a guy who was talking about reading auras, right? So we don't have the ability to see the light uh, emanating from our bodies as energy, not because it's not there, but most of us don't have that capacity to see the colors. But the colors will tell you exactly what's going on with that other person. and. Uh, you know, that was one of my great pains as a child is I can't see the auras, but I can feel everything. And so, you know, with grown-ups, they say one thing and they feel differently. It's one of the reasons that I like animals. You know, animals aren't complex. They're, their insides and their outsides match, right? If they're afraid of you, they'll growl. Uh, if they like you, they'll come up and want to be close to you. I mean, it's not this on going complex, uh, you know, if you love me, but kind of conversation, right? It's very simple. People are exhausting. And one of the things that I love about when I talk about this wire for danger thing is you guys who are like this will understand when you are in crisis, when you are in uh, intensity, all that crap drops away. And People are very real and very in the moment, and it's a experience unlike everything else, which is one of the reasons why uh, people don't transition, whether they're refugee workers, whether they're soldiers or anybody. You know, I had that when I was in the emergency room and they're trying to go home and interact with people was just like, this is stupid. You know, you're worried about a hangnail. I just... Uh, you know, watched a baby die. I mean, there was, you know, what sort of got me on all this so long ago was, you know, I had this experience of when, when you are in a crisis, all the emotional feeling, intellectual BS drops away, and you become extremely authentic in that moment, there's no having to figure out what you really think or feel because it's real. And almost all of our human interaction is anything but, you know, what people are saying and doing extremely rarely syncs up to what they're feeling. Uh, thinking and feeling at the same time. And so when you're someone like me that can read your energy, I don't know what to respond to. Do I respond to what you're saying out loud or do I respond to what you're thinking and feeling inside? And because it takes so much, it takes double energy because I'm reading both. I don't enjoy it. So I don't like to spend time with people if I have to be in that complex dynamic. And what does that have to do with love, right? Love is extremely simple. So in the same way that that really intense crisis experience 
it's not love that's got you clear in that moment. It's your nervous system. It's the adrenaline. It's the hyper-focus. It is the, the intensity. It, you don't have the capacity to bring in all the crap with you. It's just very clear. It's very simple. It's very responsive. Uh, you know, bleeding, stop bleeding. Shooting, get out the way, right? It's very simple. There's not complexity that's in that's complicating everything around your decision-making process. Love is the same thing. When you get into that pure love state, all the complexity goes away. Uh, In many ways, if you get in a pure fear state, complexity goes away. Unfortunately, that is not a fun experience, right? If somebody is, you know, a tiger is chasing you, you're not having complex thoughts. You're having, uh, I, I don't want to die, and so I'm going to run or fight. And that's the nervous system. Uh, what I found really interesting, and I don't know about you guys' experience, when I'm in a highly loving place, when the intensity of the experience uh, is happening I don't feel very productive and I don't really get much done. And so, you know, I've talked about how negativity is more my, more my fuel because when I'm in a very intense, focused, loving place, uh, I don't feel like doing stuff and all the BS of life, right? All the intricacies and ugh, things that are left to do, the to-do list. Uh, it just doesn't feel important. And so, you know, I found my brain works better, uh, you know, in a f- negative fuel state. Now, I don't know that that's good for me, but that's just, you know, what I've observed over time. Uh, you know, the the simplicity of what love is really boils down to this same concept of the simplicity of crisis when everything else drops away and there's only the pure form. Now, a lot of people experience that in meditation. They are able to stop their thoughts and connect with the source and feel that intense love. Uh, If you felt it, you know, I've been able to connect with it in the past. I haven't been able to recently, but... um, it's so unlike anything romantic or worldly. It's so complete. There's like no question. I think that's one of the interesting things about the near-death experiences is when people go to the other side, they feel this intense love that they don't want to come back. And it's hard to imagine that, you know, when you're walking around in the world, like, well, what do you mean? You don't want to come back and take care of your children or you don't want to, you know, be responsible or you don't want to come back to, you know, our relationship. And so when you haven't experienced that, you you can't understand it. And I think that's true for every degree of love there is. You know, the the higher the frequency, the more you move up the vibrational frequency ladder of what is love, the more you realize everything below it is a sad substitute and it's not important and it doesn't feel valuable. You know, in the same way that when you're in a crisis and you're having a deeply authentic experience about what's important and valuable, it's very difficult to come back to grocery shopping and, you know, paying taxes. It just is, it's terrible. It's like, why am I putting any time or energy into these stupid mundane things? And, you know, that's why so many people who are on a spiritual path go into the cave or they go into the desert or they go into a monastery because it's extremely difficult to re-enter the world of ego and complexity and fear and those lower vibrational states. And, you know, your superpower is the capacity to move, you know, back and forth. And we all have a different range, right? We all have a very different 
you know, I've got both my knees up. And so I've got my left and my right hand showing you that you can't see the range moving up and down, right? So, you know, it's some people have a very flat range. So someone who might be autistic has a narrow band of emotional capacity. And when I say emotional capacity, I mean has the ability to to navigate those higher and lower frequencies. Uh, what I've noticed is that people who are what I'm calling hyper or hypo-reactive, so hyper-reactivity people have very intense, viol- I've been calling it violence, right? Intensely violent experiences. But they also seem to have, and there are some studies to support this, they also have more intensely loving experiences. Now, if you're a flat person where you have a tiny range, somebody who is, you know, spiking up and spiking down, you know, super angry, super loving, you're like, ugh, I can't deal with that. You need to, to flatten in the curve, right? I can't deal with it. If you're somebody that is super high, super low, you're unsatisfied, you know, by trying to be in a relationship with someone who's very flat, Uh, You know, if you're both in the middle someplace, you know, you probably have a fairly functional process. And, you know, we're all extremely different. You know, the primary purpose of our nervous system, at least the the sympathetic component, uh, is fear. It's to incite fear so that we react to danger so that we can save lives. And what is more loving than the capacity to save a life, right? That we see that in the Bible. There's no greater uh, gift than to lay your life down in service to another. So some of us are wired to be super hyper-reactive and responsive to danger so we can keep the species alive. But like I said, you know, in the last podcast, the day-to-day stuff puts us in a coma. We get irritable. We can't tolerate it. It's not because we don't have the capacity to love. It's because, you know, day in and day out normally operates in a narrow band frequency. And if you're somebody that peaks and, you know, goes low, Huh, I'm you know, I'm on my audio, my voice is peaking and up and down, up and down, up and down, right? Everything is frequency. And so, you know, love isn't if you love me, you would, right? Prove to me that you love me, prove to me that you won't leave me, prove to me I'm special, prove to me I'm important, prove to me that I will always be safe, right? It's not up to anybody to do anything or say anything to prove that you are worthy of love. That's an inside job. I mean, the real transition to all of this, uh, you know, for me is, you know, in the first two stages as children and as parents, you know, our job is to understand love and life and and, you know, progress the species, right? Reproduce, create that experience of bringing life into the world and being responsible as a parent of going out into the world and and understanding how all those things work. And at some point realizing that's either not all there is, or it's really not enough, or it's no longer satisfying. You know, it's letting the child go to have their own process. And, you know, the transition is from... Uh, you know, seeking out into the world to really seeking within the self. And when we are trapped within a tiny little box of what we're allowed to think or feel, uh, that isn't what love is. You know, there's this you know, the saying is that, you know, if you love something, let it go because it must be able to return to you of its own free will. Uh, you know, that's the idea of free will and God, you know, God loved us so much, he let us go and we get to decide, we get to choose, do we want to return to God? Do we want to return to what is love? And, you know, one of the things I talked about with the psychopathy, sociopaths and psychopaths is they don't feel love, but they can feel, 
you know, pleasure or they can feel power. And that is the substitute for love. But the vibrational frequency of pleasure or power or control over is not a high frequency. It is a low frequency that when the way that the psychopathic mind-body system is wired is they can't push up into the higher frequencies. In the same way, they can do horrible, torturous things of cruelty that would just blow us out, right? A normal person just can't inflict pain for no reason and find pleasure in that. Uh, that's what, you know, my, what I was saying is that a psychopath, a serial killer can do that because they're not loving it. They're experiencing a different response, you know, we measure that is, you know, within our heart. This is a love. Uh, this is fear. So we, we are feeling an emotional response on a frequency. You know, like a, a psychopath isn't feeling love, but they are feeling uh, a pressure or a, a stimulation, I think is what I called it. So there's a stimulation of uh, you know, pleasure in creating pain that isn't something, you know, a regular human would be able to understand or to participate in. And because we don't understand it, that it's different, we have no capacity to understand what's happening to us because we're judging based on the way we would feel. You know, I think that's the conversation is, uh, especially when you see these animals, you know, they're tied up in somebody's yard and they're dying. And the, I just, I remember this one dog was down to nothing and it had no water. And this woman would walk past the dog several times a day and never give it food or water. And, you know, the, the person trying to rescue the dog is asking, like, can't you see that? And the, the lady can't. She can't see the suffering. She can't see the pain. And, you know, there's this thing that sets off in you, like, what is wrong with you? How can you not love enough to just provide water? And none of us want to see ourselves that way. None of us want to see ourselves as less than good or less than loving. Even the psychopath. The psychopath is often in search of, trying to understand what love is. Uh, you know, I remember the Star Trek series, right? And the data was constantly in search of trying to understand emotion. It's fascinating to me that there's sort of, even the computers, the AI stuff are seeking emotional uh, responses. They want to have that feeling of love, even when they're a synthetic uh you know, zero, one thing. They're not a loving, non-loving emotional thing. They're supposed to be a computer. They're not supposed to want emotion. And they want emotion. It's fascinating to me because as humans, we say, oh, that's bad. You know, you... Uh, it's it's fast. It's just you know you shouldn't be overly emotional. You're having too many feelings. You need to get your you know what together. Uh, you're a snowflake, and yeah, there's a difference between as a child not being taught to regulate our emotion. Uh, you know, I've talked about emotional regulation as a term I don't really like. But, you know, one of the things that our nervous system is designed to do is to manage stress. And part of our work as parent is to teach our child to manage increased levels of stress. And because so many parents did not do that and because our environment no longer demands us to respond to external stressors or internal stressors, you know, we have created this snowflake generation, not because they're emotionally dysregulated in terms of being broken. It's more of they just never learn to manage their emotions in the same way, you know, we have to physically manage our bodies, right? If we don't move, our muscles don't develop. You know, I see that over and over and over now in people's bodies. You know, they're just hunched over. They have these weird bellies. They're soft. There's no form to them because they never have used their body in such a way that 
the body naturally, you know, straightens up. You know, when you're a little kid and you're out running around barefoot, your body naturally aligns itself. Well, if you're never outside running and you're never barefoot, that's never going to happen. And that's what's happening to the human form. You know, our stress response is the same way. Uh, Our emotional feeling regulation is the same way. So it's very different. What I'm talking about when you're wired to have a big range of emotion versus when you've never been taught to regulate your emotions. So, you know, the temper tantrum at two and three years old, if you don't manage that, then it just becomes, uh, you know, somebody that is now deciding to run for office and is managing the city or the state or the country based on, you know, a three-year-old's temper tantrum, you know, that never got managed, but sidebar. So why am I talking about this? Because we're 45 minutes in and I've I've talked about different things. At the end of the day, right, every spiritual tradition talks about this idea. There is love and fear. And we never talk about love. We just talk about fear because fear is always what we don't want. Fear is what we're always planning and preparing and defending against. And what would a world look like? What would a life look like that was focused not on romantic love, not even on familial or relationship love. What would a world look like that understood these very simple principles of working together in a way to create love versus working against each other that creates a world in fear. And at the end of the day, that all boils down to power, power and control. And we substitute power for love. If I have enough power, then I'm safe and I'm comfortable, and then I can decide what I want to do. But is that really what we're here for, to give our power away? or to take responsibility and accountability for our power within? Or is power exclusively an external model? Uh, And these are the spiritual questions. These are the deep questions. And we have to decide for ourselves if it's valuable. You know, my big takeaway from this whole uh, experience of what's going on in the world right now, you know, as I'm listening to these people talking about these same ideas Uh, you know, weather and earth and politics and money and health, you would be able to, unable to discern the year of, of these conversations. And yet it's 25 years ago because it sounds exactly like what's happening now. Uh, it's breathtaking to me that, you know, back in 95, I wasn't thinking about all this stuff. You know, I was wild in my own life, right? I wasn't thinking about, I didn't know anything about what was going on in the world. I didn't pay attention to politics. I didn't understand anything other than, you know, my tiny little experience in my tiny little world. And so I wasn't listening to these ideas 25 years ago about bigger things or conspiracies or evil or, you know, New World Order, all this stuff. I didn't think about any of this stuff. And now I'm listening to them talk about it 25 years ago, and it sounds exactly like now. It sounds like the exact same conversation, the exact same fear about what's going to happen. Now, what's different is what they were talking about then was more of a potential. What we're talking about now is happening. And There's nothing loving about what's happening at the border, in our economy, uh, with our food supply, you know, with our governmental system, with our health, our quote-unquote health care. There's nothing in the frequency of love that is happening at the big level. It may be happening with you, it may be happening within communities, but at the big country global level, there's nothing loving happening. And as long as we are held in a collective state of fear 
about what we don't want as we're fighting, running, freezing up in the face of all of it, it will never change. You know, you, you know, hate met with hate is never going to create love. And, and it's a, that's why I go back to, it's a decision. It's a decision to love regardless of where you are and what's happening. And the most important thing about love is letting go of the outcome to it. You know, everything about fear is what I don't want. You know, I'm pushing against it. I'm running away from it. I'm freezing up in the face of it because I don't want the outcome of the fear, right? So the fear is the 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 sense of what we don't want in the future, right? I don't want to be homeless. I don't want to be hungry. I don't want to go to war. I don't want the electricity to go out. So we we are pushing against the fear of what we don't want versus, you know, what would love look like? What would it look like to not push against what we don't want versus focusing on what we do want. You know, our nervous system does not default into love. We default into fear. We don't default into love. Now, maybe we do as babies, but we learn very quickly that's not acceptable in our culture, in our world, right? We're not rewarded for defaulting into love. We see that as being vulnerable and stupid, and how can I take advantage of that? You know, we make fun of people who are very innocent and loving. Uh, we attack it. We make it wrong. But what would a grown-up, responsible, functional version of love look like in our life and in our world. None of it originates outside. All of it originates within because it's a decision that must be made with letting go of the outcome of. I mean, the very essence of unconditional love, which is the holy grail that people tell themselves they're chasing for in romantic relationships, uh, it doesn't exist because, like I said at the beginning, you no one's perfect. Uh, you know, that, like I said, there's a, something going on where everybody's pointing out to me every mistake I make. I'm like, okay, everyone else is doing the same thing, but they feel very free to point out my own. Why is that? Is that the loving thing to do? Uh, if there's a danger, right? If you're doing something that's creating danger, yeah, I think we need to tell each other about that. If we're telling each other about things that are inconsequential, is that helpful? Is that the loving thing to do? Am I loving you when I'm criticizing you and judging you and condemning you and persecuting you and making you wrong? And why do we do those things? Why do we want to kill the messenger? Every spiritual leader was crucified in some way, shape, or form. Why do we do that? Why do we hate and fear and attack people trying to give us the truth at the cost of what we think is keeping us safe, right? We push against all the people we don't want to know what they have to tell us. Why do we do that? Is that the loving thing to do? Is the loving thing to do to stay silent? I mean, I don't have the answer to that because, as you know, you know, most of us have had, uh, rag, you know, big changes in our relationships based on what we choose to believe about what's true out in the world. Uh, and if you would step back, you know, most people who fight, most soldiers go to war as an act of love for those who they think that they're protecting, but yet the people that they're attacking don't feel that love, right? Uh, in the same way that, uh, you know, people are 
not wanting to know, that are pushing against the truth because the fear is so great that they're not loved. What do you mean my government doesn't love me? What do you mean my government is trying to kill me? What do you mean my doctor is trying to kill me? I mean, that's just too much. In the same way, you know, as a child can't stand the idea that their parent doesn't love them. So we, you know, create multiple personalities. We split off. We get depressed. We get, we act out. We move into addiction. All these things stem from this very, very core, simple concept of what is love. We're very versed in fear. We're not very versed in love because we've had the truth about love taken away from us. And so, yeah, it's fun to talk about politics and to analyze and to opine and it's fun to be entertained and it's fun to do all these other things. But really, how much time do any of us spend on this very simple idea? And what do we need to do within ourselves to create more of it? And, you know, what I've really come to this conclusion for myself, now this is just my experience, but almost every aspect of my uh, reactivity right now is in relationship to pain and fatigue uh, or stress, right? And as long as I am in a constant state of stress, I don't have the capacity to love. And that's What's fascinating about the stress response, the body is only designed for 30 minutes of stress. We are not designed to stay in a constant state of stress. And when we're in a state of stress, it's almost impossible to access that love. But if you're in a state of stress as a fight person, you can move into a heightened intensity that you can remind yourself is for love, even though it doesn't feel like love. And it really isn't loving, you know, when we're in that violent place. But we can tell ourselves it's in service to love. And it might be, we might be fighting the tiger off to, pr to protect our children or we might be fighting a war that we've been manipulated into and we're really doing harm. Uh, so there's no like one-off simple black and white solutions, even though at the end of the day, it is simple. What I want, what I don't want. How much energy do we put into what we're afraid of? How much energy do we put into love itself as we understand it? And how much about love do we push out into the world to be responsible? If you loved me, you certainly wouldn't, you know, turn the energy off. Uh, I was listening, you know, the, yesterday, Russia announced that it was uh, no longer exporting diesel or gas. And uh, that's really bad for everybody. And, you know, the behind the scenes is that they're doing it because they're getting ready for a war. Because the, the public reason is that their, uh, their people have to pay 10% more. And so I didn't know that. I knew this was true in some Middle Eastern country. In Russia, gas is 25 cents a gallon. I mean, that's just breathtaking, right? Is it an act of love as a government to provide energy for your people and an accessible amount of money. And I was thinking, how different would my life be, your life, our life, if our gas was 25 cents a gallon? I mean, I just like, you know, we're, we're at $4, you know, moving up to 5 and $6. Can you imagine how much activity would be going on in our country if, if you know, our delivery systems had the uh, you know, I think that the average fill-up rate for any semi-truck is like $1,000, right? Just can you imagine if that dropped to $250? I mean, it just went, or $200 instead of $1,000, or $100 instead of $1,000. It is breathtaking to imagine that influx of energy, which gas is energy, it's fuel, to, to uh, feed the nation, like what we would be like if energy 
was available to us that cheaply versus, you know, Europe and America where energy is just going to go higher and higher and higher and how that does nothing but increase our stress. You know, the stress of finding $5 uh, to go, you know, on a 100-mile road trip is nothing compared to the stress of finding $50 or $500. Just, you know, that's what I keep saying about, you know, here it's a 120-mile round trip to go get food. So that's a lot of miles just to go to the grocery store. How much would our stress be reduced if it was just 50 cents to go run to the grocery store and back, right? So when I talk about this idea of what is love, uh, it's, you know, you have we have to step back because almost exclusively the absence of love is based on fear, which is really stress, which triggers our nervous system. And how much of that stress do we, is being created Uh, artificially. And I, you know, when I heard that, I thought, you know, I don't believe in, you know, complete government subsidies of, but can you imagine our country if we had 25 cent a gallon gas? You know, that would be radical. In the same way, can you imagine our health if we had food that had actual nutrition in it and no pesticides and no weird chemicals? Can you imagine how healthy we would be? Because we would be easily able to get that food and we would have high quality food. Like how much of our stress would go away? How much of our stress would go away if we didn't watch our government sending money all over the world and to their own pocketbook while we're losing our homes and our jobs and our savings and our security? What would our life be if we didn't have the stress of sending our children out into the world to be uh, mutilated or perverted or indoctrinated. I mean, can you imagine having young children now being terrified to put them in proximity to any stranger because who knows what conversation is having or being in a state that is legalizing that state to take your child away from you as an act of protection. I mean, we are in a state of stress that it is almost impossible to access the capacity to love without a lot of energy. And most of us, I think, are probably just too tired. And so, you know, we get mad when other people aren't perfect because we're tired too. And so, uh, you know, I'm talking about this because it is the most important thing. Because everything that's happening to us right now is based on I don't want this and our reactivity to what I don't want that is based on an ever-increasing number of stressors based on fears that will never allow us to access that feeling of love, which is really the vibration, which is really the energy that we must move into if anything is ever going to change. You know, violence meaning violence, you know, a war doesn't bring peace. It may bring a temporary reprieve of physical attack, but it never takes everything. You know, the Chinese are over there pissed off about something that happened a hundred years ago. They have a hundred year plan that they hate America so bad. You know, we don't, most of us weren't even born when their hatred was initiated. But if you look, there's videos of the children that are in school that are being indoctrinated with hate. We ha- They're chanting and screaming at the top of their lungs how much they hate America. These little kids don't know us, but they are being indoctrinated in hate. And their fear of us means they have to attack us and hurt us and kill us. And that is not the fuel that I want to live my life on. It's not the fuel that builds a world. And as long as we're having all these conversations about everything but love, right, 
we're still perpetuating those systems. And none of this is easy or simple. And that's where I'm going to, you know, end this is that love is a decision. You know, fear is something that feels real, but it's most often in the future. Love is in the moment. It's that present moment now. It's the decision now. And it's something that is extremely difficult to make in a world that's falling apart. And, you know, you're hearing that from people everywhere, you know, that nobody can get along. Everybody's bashing heads. Everybody's attacking each other. There's, it's almost impossible. Like, I haven't had a nice conversation. I was thinking about that. I haven't had fun with anybody in longer than I can remember because every conversation devolves into some, you know, stress process. There's like no fun. There's no joy. There's no love. I mean, the only love that is simple and pure is, you know, when I first wake up, the dogs come and they stand over me and they stick their head in my face and I tell them how awesome they are. And that goes on for like 30 seconds to a minute. And then they, you know, devolve into wrestling on the bed here. But there's just this one tiny moment of my day that's built into our routine that's pure love. Nobody wants anything. Nobody's judging. Nobody's frustrated. You know, I'm not tired because I just woke up. It's just this one tiny pure moment. And I was thinking about how much of our day has any of that in it. And it's not just about pushing and survival or reacting to the millions of stressors that get worse and worse and worse. You know, I'm getting ready to drive away as I'm, you know, watching gas go up and up and up. I mean, there's nothing about our world that is not fear, stress, terror inducing right now. And there's no room for love. And yet that's what we all crave at the end of the day. So uh, just something to think about. I know everything I say is heavy, right? There's no lightness to me, la la. But someday, right? Maybe someday we'll go back to laughing. Maybe we'll find moments of joy. You know, maybe we'll find a way to let more of this stress go and allow more love back into our hearts. I don't know. It's very difficult. But with that, Oh, thank you for joining on me this with me with this and I my friends will see you next time.